So for those of you guys who don't know me, my name's Matt. I'm the middle school director here at Marin Covenant Church. And um, I'm just, I'm really glad to be here today and I get to share a little bit of the word with you. So um, I, just, I just hope that you get, can I get to enjoy it, get to, get to know a little bit more about me. I, uh, I am, I'm a new father. I have a son who's two months old named Joshua. And um, my amazing wife, Kelly, and I um, have been married for six years. And it's just been such an adventure because my kid is so loved and so amazing. He's so happy all the time. Like he's, he's probably the best kid I've ever seen in my life. Like he doesn't, he, he only cries when he's hungry, which means that like I'm holding him like, oh, you're crying. Here you go, mom. You know, um, he sleeps like seven hours a night. So it's awesome. He's only two months old and um, he's healthy, which is probably the best part of the whole thing. And ultimately the, my favorite part though of having a kid is that he is surrounded by an amazing group of people, of friends who love him dearly. And I just hope that as he grows older, he gets to experience the love of God in, in a full and in a, in amazing way. Um, and so along with my awesome family, I want to share a little bit about myself this morning with you so that you get to know me and get to know how broken I am and messed up I am. And then you can kind of like, yeah, say I, I totally understand him and, and fit in. So um, I have a tendency to be very set in my ways. Basically, I'm not really often willing to accept many things without kind of like an empirical evidence system structure built up. I, I, used, to, I used to kind of fight, fight through, like I'd get a math problem, and I'd be like, I don't like doing it this way, and I'd find a new way of doing a math problem. I wanted, I wanted to understand how things worked and what made things tick. And um, that's been part of my life. And so I, I will continue to wrestle and search out things that I don't fully understand and, and try to, to dig into deep scientific and theological things that are confusing to me. And in my life, that's been, um, that's been awesome because I start, I start my head, I, I study, but it's also been a challenge in my faith at times, as you might be able to guess. Um, but I've, I've learned through that process that metrics matter, that intelligence is important, and that hard work and doing things that you don't always like to do can pay off when we eventually, when that means we get to do things we love. And, and so for me, that's, that's been a great thing. But in my faith, that's been a challenge because on a regular occasion, um, doubt, doubt can kind of creep in, right? And it's not to say that I, I really doubt my faith, but it's, it's to say that there are challenges in our faith. And as we look at our relationship with God and we try to understand there's challenges in, in who God is and, and how we wrestle with that and how we understand who he is. And it's not an easy process, but God has kind of blessed me um, in my journey to give me the desire and the passion to dig in into the theology, into the culture, into the biblical understanding, um, to understand and move my heart towards him. And stated simply, I start with my head. My head is the first thing that that guy kind of like speaks to me through, and then he moves into my heart. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she's entirely opposite in her faith to me. She, um, She has a very 
intrinsic experience in her faith. And she enters her faith in a much simpler, more childlike way. And that, that's in a better way in many, in many cases, because I get my head so wrapped around things that when I'm not ready to fully embrace something, I have a hard time embracing it. But she's like, no, God showed me this. I read it in scripture. I'm so excited. And then as she learns and she experiences God, she goes and she confirms it in scripture and she confirms it with her friends. And so my wife on the opposite end of the spectrum starts with her heart and moves toward her head. Now, um, I'm going to kind of make, make the assumption in here that many of us have been through difficult challenges in life. We've kind of been in, in stages of life and in different situations where we have to wrestle with who God is. And for me, that's especially challenging because when hard times hit or when struggles or confusion happens and I'm so up in my mind, I have a hard time experiencing God's presence and, and being with him and, and knowing he's there with me. And I'm slow to allow for that experience, especially if I'm not sharing it. So I have a tendency to reject first, to question first, and to fight back. Now, in our lives, I think we kind of expect and we want Jesus to show up. We want that aha moment, especially when things are difficult, to, to clarify everything, to lay the, the table out perfectly and neatly so that we can understand and see every part of God. But he doesn't work like that always. And many times he reveals himself in ways that we are not ready to experience. And so he shows up in unexpected ways. Now, Think back in your life to the, those challenges, those relationship problems, maybe depression or stress and anxiety, losing a job, sickness, physical pain, new opportunities like moving, building a family, having children, struggling to have children, jealousy or trials in our faith. And maybe you're better people than I am in general, but my life has been filled with opportunities for me to be confused and frustrated by God. And so my hope today is that you would be able to open your eyes to experience God in unexpected ways. That you'd be able to open your eyes to experience God in unexpected ways because there is good news in this. There's good news in that in our trials and our frustrations and in our disappointments and our challenges and in change in our lives, that God has actually given us something and similar stories for us to go to and to see and to experience how he shows up in the lives of his people. So if you'd um, pull out your smartphones with, with me and turn to um, Luke chapter 24, 13. Wait, oh, you guys don't use smartphones. Uh, I'm going to share something with you about how I'm discovering how God shows up in the lives of unsuspecting people. If you don't have your smartphone, I totally understand. Not all of us can be under 30 and have, you know, ability to use basic technology. So, you know, if you have that, that paper thing that, you know, was printed like a long time ago, you want to open that up. Chapter 24, verse 13 is a great, great place to start. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to, uh, to open the Bible in the, in the seats in front of you or to just follow along on the screen as we go today, like most of you are going to do anyway. So let's, um, let's pray as we open the Word. Heavenly Father, May you prepare our hearts and open our eyes to what your word has for us today. Give us clarity and understanding. 
Help us to see and experience the amazing ways you have revealed yourself to your people. Amen. So hopefully you're, you're to Luke 24, 13. Now, your Bible may say something like, at that point, on the road to Emmaus or the walk to Emmaus. My favorite was in the NRSV. It says the Emmaus incident. I think it's so much more of an incident. It, it is a journey and it's a walk with God, but it's an interesting incident in how God reveals himself in such an unexpected way. So let's look at it. Luke 24, 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, just a connection to the passage before it, two of them, obviously referring back to the beginning, to the passage right before, is the story when the women come back from the tomb of Jesus and they say, it's empty, the angels told us he's not, he's, he's alive. These two men were there at that moment with the disciples in the midst of that context. They were in those relationships, they were part of that inner circle And in many contexts, they're considered disciples and especially followers of Jesus. Now, as we we continue to read, we get to see what's kind of unique and odd about these two. Verse 14 says, "They They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing. He asked them. Why are you, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. Now I want you to stop at this moment and notice something with me. Have you ever been in a conversation about something difficult in your life with a friend? And you're in that conversation and some random stranger who you don't recognize walks up and joins your conversation? Can you imagine at that moment the looks of frustration and confusion that would be on their face as they're staring this stranger down saying, no, I'm sorry, you need to walk away right now. And yet Jesus does nothing of the sort. He continues to insert himself into their awkwardness, into their confusion, into their frustration. But even more than that, even more than how awkward that is in those few verses, why would they be kept from recognizing Jesus? Why would they be kept from recognizing Jesus? And I cannot, I cannot believe that Jesus doesn't just go up and be like, here I am, see, look, I really am alive. But he doesn't. So obviously something's going on in this story. At this very moment, this sermon could be over. You guys could be on your way to having a great day. But instead, you have to stay here with me and finish reading through this passage to figure out why Jesus would not just reveal himself at that very moment to them. So let's continue to read verse 18. It says, One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? And do you not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. can almost taste the frustration and anger. They're like, we were having a private conversation. Now we have to explain it to you. Um, It continues. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third third day since all this took place. Notice here, they've actually just recounted back the entire gospel story. 
They've repeated back everything about Jesus except for two things. They've entirely missed who Jesus is. Yeah, he's a prophet. Yeah, he's that. But you've missed the bigger picture. And the second thing they've missed is they've missed the resurrection. They were there. They they experienced it. But they missed the resurrection. So why would they be kept from recognizing Jesus? First of all, they have something to learn. They have something to learn. Like we all have something to learn. And most of the time, Jesus does something in the Bible that we don't quite understand. It's because he has something to teach the people who are listening and to us. We have something to learn in this as well. Verse 22 continues and it says, In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now these guys who are clearly close to the situation, these are guys who were in the place to be. They were with the disciples. They were in relationship with Jesus. They were in relationship with these women. So of course, when they hear this news, they should be celebrating. And yet, If you look back at verse 17, it says, They stood still, their faces downcast. They have missed the good news. They have missed the message. Jesus is alive, and they have missed it. They have clearly missed it. So in their frustration and in their challenges of life, Why does Jesus not show up to them right in that very moment? Why does he not reveal himself to them? Because they have something to learn, but because they do not believe. They do not believe. They still have something to learn, and they do not believe. They are still lost. In my mind, they're actually worse than Thomas, the disciple who doesn't believe, because not only do they not believe, they bail. They leave the community of people. They leave their friends. They leave everything that's held dear. And Jesus has to go out of his way to specifically show up in their lives. They completely miss the message. And not only that, they disengage. They do not yet believe. They still have something to learn. They have closed their eyes to what God has. And they're not ready to experience him quite yet. They've lost hope in their community. They're starting to drift away. And in so many ways, they're just like us. They're just like us. In the midst of our trials and our frustrations and our torments of life, in the midst of challenges and new beginnings and change, we have the the tendency to pull away, to step back. They are us. They are us as we struggle and we turn our backs. They are us. Now, I am so excited for this ne- next verse because in this, in this whole thing, you can imagine what Jesus is thinking like, you have missed it. You have missed it. And so Jesus is about ready to just drop the hammer on these guys. So here we go. Let's look at it. Verse 25, he, says, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
Jesus corrects their understanding. He points out the parts of the story that they have clearly missed. He draws their attention back towards him, and he is drawing them towards belief, all the while walking alongside them. Verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Remember, these are the disciples who bailed on the news the women gave, but obviously something has changed and is happening. They're intrigued by Jesus. They're beginning to feel the effects of the words of God in their lives. They're beginning to have their eyes slowly wake and open. They still don't see. They still do not believe. But Jesus has somehow begun to work at their heart. We're almost there, so hang with me. Verse 30 says this, When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They sit down to eat with Jesus. They sit down together, these men who are in the, in the center of what Jesus was doing at that time. And it's almost strange how Jesus reveals himself. It's almost as strange as Jesus walking up to people, to strangers, and them staring him down and, and him overcoming those looks. It's almost as strange as him hiding himself from them but he reveals himself in an unexpected way, in a way that they had not anticipated. He sits down to the meal with them and he breaks the bread and their eyes are opened. Their eyes are opened because of the work he's done in their hearts through the word and through their participation with him in the sacrament of communion. What a joy it is to get to experience those exact same things each and every time we gather together. When we get to celebrate the sacraments together, when we get to celebrate and hear the word of God, when we get to open the scriptures and see God's word. So why didn't God reveal himself to them at that very time, at the very beginning? They needed to learn the truth. They needed to believe it. And they needed to embrace it in their own time. They needed to embrace it in their own time. Jesus knew that they were not quite ready. But was he there with them all the way? Absolutely he was. They needed to embrace it in their own time. These disciples needed the latitude to process it. Are you ready in your life and in your journey and your experience to open your eyes to experience God in an unexpected way? How many times have you been like those disciples? How many times have you ignored what God is doing? How many times have you been downcast when you should have been celebrating? How many times has God been there with you and you just haven't noticed him? Are you ready to open your eyes to experience God in unexpected ways? 
Now, earlier I showed you a picture of my family, my son, Joshua, and um, I didn't always like the name Joshua, uh, especially for my son. I, I think it was a great name, but it wasn't the name that I would have chosen at all, at all. Um, but shortly after we found out my wife was pregnant, she had an experience of God where he gave her the name Joshua. And in the true fashion of my wife, she was in, hard first. She was in, she was bought in, God had done his work in her. And then she did the work of confirming, oh, is this in the nature of who God is? I'm gonna go talk to my mentors. I'm gonna talk to my friends. I'm gonna open the scripture. And the answer was, for her, yes. Now, meanwhile, I was playing the critic. I was entirely unwilling to accept that God would take something that I was really excited for. I was so excited to name my son, to get to be a part of that, that he would rip that from me. Now, it's kind of naive if you think about how God actually works. Like, he kind of shatters our expectations on a regular basis. But I, I wasn't ready for it, and so I pushed back on my wife. I told her she must have heard wrong. I challenged her. I, I said, I, I tried to find better names and, like, convince her that something else would be a better name. I looked at my wife, and with all the love and respect I could muster, I became keenly aware that I didn't want anything to do with God speaking to somebody else when he didn't speak to me. I, so I rejected. I fought the notion that God would steal something from me, and, and I had to finally come to the point of just stopping. Just stopping. So finally I stopped. And to see God, we have to get out of our own way. To see God, we have to pause. Our lives are so busy with all of the challenges and frustration and despair and activities and all of the things that we do. Stop trying to answer it on your own. You will not find the answer on your own. First, you have to pause. These two disciples could have done the natural thing as they experienced Jesus, this stranger walking into their lives. They could have done the natural thing as they, as they just pushed him away and walked on. But instead they stopped. They took the time, knowingly or unknowingly, they paused and they gave God the time to do the work in their life. Every relationship takes work and time. And that's no different with a relationship with God. So as I came to realize that fighting was getting me nowhere, I had to pause. And finally, when I stopped making it about me, I was able to begin to let God take me on a journey. I didn't want to expect, accept it. I, didn't, I complained about it the entire time. I was tormented by it. I was pretty much in no way willing to let God get away with this. I really wasn't. But God gave me grace. He fought through my uncomfortable stares and my uncomfortable challenges. And he gave me the latitude to actively seek him. So what do, we see, what do we have to do to see God? First, we have to pause. The second thing we have to do is we have to actively seek him. Now, that doesn't mean that you get to just come to church and, and that's actively seeking him. No, 
actively seeking God is in the midst of the torment, crying out to him, going to scripture, going to who he is. And for those disciples, it was inviting him to walk along with them and having conversation, talking about it with their friends, seeking out godly people in your life. So in my journey, I sought him. I engaged. I didn't accept. I didn't understand. I just sought him. As time went on, I started to know and recognize that I was wrong. God kind of opened my eyes to that. And the irony was that as I went through this, I realized the issue really at stake was not my son's name. It was my ego. It was my ego. I'm the one who's on staff at the church. I'm the, I'm the pastor. I'm the one who's supposed to have a special connection to God somehow. But God's not like that. God meets me in my unique ways, the same way he meets my wife, the same way he meets you in your unique ways, and in unexpected ways. And through actively seeking him, I had my heart broken, my pride shattered. I had my jealousy destroyed. I had my control confronted. And God showed up. For me, it was at winter camp when I'd taken a, big, a group of middle school students and we're up there and I'm all excited about what God's going to do in their lives and he shatters me. And I'm in tears and bawling through worship and through the songs. God showed me I needed to surrender, that I needed to accept how he made me and accept what he said. I needed to embrace him in my own time. I had a lesson to learn. It wasn't about me. I had to believe that he shows up. And I needed to embrace it in my own time. So the story doesn't actually end with just hearing the message. So how do we see God? First we pause. First, then we actively seek him. But then we have to do something. And in the lives of these disciples, that's exactly what they do. If we look at verse 33, it says, They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen. He has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. These men responded. Finally, we have to respond. First, we have to pause. We have to see and give space to God. Then we have to actively seek him in our struggles. And then we have to respond. You have to live it out. If you do not live it out, then God has done nothing in your life. You have to live it out. The response is key. The truth is here ready for you. Open your eyes to experience God in unexpected ways. Will you go on the journey of pausing from the craziness of life, actively seeking him in the desert, and responding through living it out and bowing down? Open your eyes to experience God in unexpected ways. Let's pray. God, do your work in our lives. God, walk with us and lead us toward you. Prepare our hearts. Open our eyes. Reveal yourself to us. Fill us with your overwhelming grace and love. Help us respond when we hear.